You're listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hi, I'm Miss, and I'm here with my co-host Ryan, and you're listening to Season 2 of the Iterators of the Imperium podcast, the podcast in which Ryan is the expert on Warhammer 40k, and I'm the noob trying to learn about the Warhammer universe. And once again, we are here with Darren from Laying Down the Lore, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time, like like last time I reckon, it was a bit of a, 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 a kind of a different podcast episode, let's, <laughs> let's say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Different. <laughs> but yeah. Let, let's I, get into it, guys. So what are we talking about today? Uh, we are going to be continuing on from last time with the rest of the uh, Craft World and Exodus Eldar, Eldar stuff. So we're going to be looking at the past of the Eldar, the Aspect Warriors, uh, the kind of weapons that they use, and some of the troops, stuff like that. Those kind of things are the plan. And I'm hoping that this uh, seems a bit less like a fever dream than last time did. <laughs> I take that as a personal insult, but I feel I have to distance myself from last episode as well. That's fair, especially because <laughs> we haven't done edit for it yet. And and for listeners, uh, yes, this is what my voice actually sounds like. Never cross a Danishman. It's unbelievable. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree. But... I've, I've told you to stop cursing people, man. We've been over this. Hey! Just because they talked over you in the podcast doesn't mean you can curse him. <laughs> Just sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> Casting some voodoo with a potato. Wait, what? What? <laughs> How'd you know our tricks, bro? <laughs> I've been dealing with you guys for a long time. I can't get rid of the fucking Danish. I may as well learn about you. You are <laughs> collecting the Danish, I will just say that. I have. I've been acquiring many Danes. I keep them in my basement. Again, I'm just... Let's just assume I'm distancing myself from everything. It's fine. <laughs> you're distancing yourself from the Danes? Is that what you're telling me? No, from your implied slavery, you horrific man. I didn't say I kept them as slaves, <laughs> I just said I kept them. That can just what, be kidnapping. As pets? Yeah. <laughs> Are you setting up a new website called Only Danes? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. I wonder what that little webcam in my corner uh, was, yeah. was like filming. <laughs> oh. oh my. Oh Where do you find the other out. five in your apartment? Oh, oh, good God. lord. Just people coming at you with Lego constructions. <laughs> oh yeah, Lego is Danish. Is yeah. it? I thought it was fucking sweats. No, they, Lego is Danish. Oh, oh that's the Toblerone. Oh, I'm thinking of Ikea, it's fine. It's not even sweats, I don't think. I think it's Swedish. No, they're, they're Swedish. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was like. Sorry, I was wrong on like three fronts. <laughs> Let's just move on, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already three minutes in and we haven't talked about Warhammer. <laughs> R- remind, <laughs> remind me never to appoint you ambassador to the European Union. I don't think we were ever at risk of that happening, I'll be honest. Never say never. Uh, yeah. You know what, I'm going to try for that now, just to upset you. <laughs> I'm, going to see how, I'm going to start looking up how the hell that works. We're going to start a new podcast, it's just my journey to becoming ambassador of the European Union. And then I'll quit about <laughs> five minutes in. <laughs> Purely so I can say I did it. What you have to do is leave on an avalanche of Ferrero Rocher. Ooh. <laughs> uh, God, that would cost millions. And depending on how heavy you are, it would be horrific. You'd be like some sort of delicious hummus. Oh, oh that'd be good. You know what? All right, solid plan. Let's do it. 
<laughs> I reckon we can make that work. I reckon taxpayers would be okay with paying for that. Yeah, they're okay with everything else. Okay, I don't think now is the. I don't think this podcast is the place for bland political commentary. <laughs> All right, pass to the Eldar. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> after the fall of the Eldar, the remains of Eldar society saw fit to take on the path system, predominant or no, out with the. Uh, Exodites and Craft World Eldar, I think they basically just never thought of this system at all, because it's kind of stupid in the first place. Whatever. The idea being <laughs> that you would uh, take a particular life path, and it would essentially give you something to focus on, a skill to study, practice, and then master, so that people didn't just, you know, stray off in uh, debauchery and sexy murder cults again. The paths take a lot of different forms, and we are going to run through a bunch of them, but there's one other thing, and it's that you can become what is called lost on your path, because the idea is you're meant to study a path and practice it until you eventually master it, and then move on to a new one, because how much more is there to learn after you master something? But some people just keep going with the same one endlessly, and essentially fall into some form of madness because of it, I'll be honest. Uh, and those people are said to be lost on their path, which is an interesting concept. Mm, There's yeah. some of the paths I find it hilarious that you could become lost on, and I don't really know what form that would take. Uh, but we'll we'll get into that as we kind of run through the paths now. So the first path is, that I'm going to go over is the path of awakening. So this path teaches Eldar to analyze the surroundings in incredible detail, like down to the point that like. Things that are so minute that other or no one else would even begin to notice it, or even think there was any relevance to the situation about this detail. And these guys will pick it out and be like, "Ah, I know exactly what's going on now because that bug farted." You're like, "Great, thank you for that, Dave." <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all got friends like that. That's fair. Yes, I feel like that's just what Sherlock Holmes was. Yeah. Pretty much, actually. Yeah. I don't know what being lost on that path would be. Would you basically just spend all day walking around with a magnifying glass? The the danger with the path system and being lost on the path system is you, you end up um, kind of over-specialized. Uh, so you, become, you, you see, if, if we're talking about the path of the awakening, you would see uh, import in every little aspect of things. So you'd kind of lose yourself into the the kind of day-to-day -day detail and end up having to live in a completely empty white room. That's fair. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the second path is the path of the artisan, which genuinely just teaches people to be craftsmen. But it's it's a weird tiered path. So it would go in a sense of like, you pick the path of the artisan and then you pick what, you, what kind of artisan you would be. So like a sculptor or a painter or carpenter for some reason or whatever. And then it would subsequently go down one more tier into, like, the style of that. Uh, and it's probably broken up in about 86 other ways as well. But that means that you could essentially go into the Path of the Artisan several times over, just looking at different sections of it, picking new trades to take up and stuff like that. Which I can see where being lost on this path would take you, because you'd probably just spend your entire life sanding a chair. Or something stupid like that, you know? We've all done that in high school when we're in, like, woodwork. You just spend hours sanding a clock for no reason. Varnish it 76 <laughs> times. Stuff like that. 
I can just see it. Mr. Barber, why are you still working on that? I'm trying not to get devoured by Slanesh, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why you kept getting sent to the counsellor. No, that was for another thing, but it was linked. Oh, okay, that's fine then. Does that go back to you devouring people for Slanesh? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Probably for the best. I'm sure a judge told you you weren't allowed to talk about that. <laughs> uh, there is the path of command which teaches military command it's quite a simple straightforward one uh, I I don't really get what being lost on this one would do for you I, I assume you would kind of just become a nut job you'd be like strategizing about things that aren't even happening at a certain point I think don't really know I, I think maybe Rebooted Gilliman is lost on that path the guy's got about 86 backup plans for everything any ideas? Go on Mez I'm like, <laughs> I'm on my whole own path. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the path of the dreamer. <laughs> the path of the dreamer. Interestingly, I was about to say, we get on the maze's path, the path of the dreamer. <laughs> the path of the dreamer actually teaches Eldar to meditate and control their dreams, which is just a whole thing in itself. I knew a guy in high school that thought he could actually do that. I'm like, I think you're just, I think you're just nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think you're just making things up at this point. He's like, no, no, you like program in cues so you know when you're dreaming, and then once you know you're dreaming, you can do whatever you want. I'm like, I think you're just an idiot. <laughs> I think it's really good because uh, no, no one can gainsay him. What? Well, we could just go. Were you there? <laughs> so like, oh, well, I can control my dreams, and I know that's not what happened. You know. The only way to call out bullshit in that form is to add in more bullshit. That's the rules. Uh, but within 40k, I believe the the being lost on that path genuinely ends up with you lost in your own dreams for centuries. Yeah. Mm. I could see that being very helpful with the depressive nature of the 40k universe. I feel like you would just be <laughs> lost in your dreams for so long that eventually someone finds you and shoots you in the head. <laughs> now that's a way of parenting I like that <laughs> that was not the way I was thinking about it Yeah, the path of the daydreamer bang <laughs> <laughs> then we have the path of grief so this mm -hmm. path involves grieving for Eldar suffering at like funerals and like uh, memorial services and stuff like that so it's a way of uh, of being able to experience grief without being so far into it that Slanesh just grabs you. Which, I mean, I guess that happening is exactly what being lost on that path would do. You would just become so depressed that eventually Slanesh would just take you. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, because it would be a descent into despair, which is a, a nurgly thing. But you wonder if um, if any of the other gods are able to grab hold of Eldar souls. Has Slanesh, like, uh, bagsied them all? It, all I, I think he it. has, but much like uh, siblings usually are, they very rarely actually respect the bagsy. Yeah, my sister used to do this thing when we, we would have burgers. There'd always be uh, one extra. I don't know why there was always one extra. I think our parents were trying to divide and conquer. Um that's fair. But I'd say, uh, I want that burger, or I'm having that last burger. And she'd pick it up, lick it, and put it back down. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a great story, but, you know, illustrative. 
<laughs> so it just bring back, it brings back memory from my own experiences. <laughs> oh yeah, you knew my sister too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, oh, that really got me left field there. <laughs> Fuck. That's that's how she gets you. <laughs> oh, okay. Show the dark sister, I guess. <laughs> How's it going, Sandy? <laughs> oh. Moving on swiftly. Uh, Next path. The path of the Mariner. This path teaches Eldar to crew Eldar fleets, which is obviously will be kind of a widespread one as well. It'll be like a tiered one as well. Because not every single member of the ship will be taught everything at the same time, because that would be nonsense. Everyone yeah. will be taught in a section that, like, here, you do comms, here, you keep an eye on the engine so it doesn't explode, shit like that. Mm. So I assume that's a tiered one as well, although I couldn't find any evidence of that, it just, it's the only way it makes any goddamn sense. Uh, but I don't know what being lost on this path would be other than just, like... I don't know, I guess being too invested in keeping a ship running, I guess. That's you're, found, you're found fully dressed in a bath playing with toy boats. Possibly, yes. <laughs> you just take the word mariner way too seriously and just constantly in a diver suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Lost, I reckon the next one is Path of the Outcast. I feel like you're looking these up. No. <laughs> I've just done my homework. <laughs> what have I told you about that? <laughs> so the path of the outcast uh, refers to Eldar, who are out with the usual path system. So because the path system is quite a rigorous way to run society, everyone has to kind of stay in their own little box and do what it says inside the box. Uh, because the Eldar are obviously very advanced creatures and are very hyper-intelligent compared to the average human, stuff like that, a lot of them are just like, fuck your path system, and want to go do whatever the hell they want. So any of the ones that turn their back on the usual Eldar society and path system end up being referred to as being on the path of the outcast, where they just fuck off into the galaxy and go do something else. Yeah, uh, join a shit metal band. Exactly, yeah. I don't know where you find someone's garage in 40k to be in a shit metal band, because I feel like that's where they all start, but I'm sure there's hey, one. Do you know, but hey, do you know what's not a shit metal band? What's that? Black Legion. Hey, <laughs> featuring Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we managed to get you plugging so a band with someone you've never even met, but fair enough. <laughs> you know, I'm going to call that a win. It's a thematic choice. Uh, yeah, most of the people that go on the path of the outcast will end up as like space pirates, mercenaries, or rangers, and just kind of go do their own thing and kill stuff. Basically, <laughs> I feel yeah, like most basic... most people just kill stuff in the end in forty k. Yeah, just a typical outcast. That's it. Yeah, just become murderous. You know, shoot up a school, or whatever. Um... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's <took> us right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the path of duck and cover. <laughs> path of hiding your tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, the old Unibomber approach. I like that. 
some people do eventually turn back and join and rejoin Eldar society again as well. But yeah, a lot of them just turn into space pirates and stuff like that. <laughs> Which I think the would most... be more fun, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think last episode you mentioned the uh, that quote was from um, the kind of best example of someone who became an outcast and then rejoined, which was uh, Uriel. Yes. Uh, the Eldritch Raider kind of captain. Yes. Uh, I feel like his story is a whole one in itself, though. So the next path is the path of service, which honestly just involves Eldar serving Being someone waiters. else. It's just yeah. mal- it's just menial work. That's all it is, really. You become like a maid or a servant of some form or another, an assistant, something like that. Which... Yeah. I don't know what being lost on that path would involve. I, I, I don't know, licking shoes clean or something? I, I don't know. Becoming a wow, but- wow. Uh, you've tipped your hand there, Ryan. Uh, we suddenly discover what you're into. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make this clear. There is no creature alive that can understand my sexual preference. <laughs> oh, Not no. even yourself. That mean, that mean- <laughs> That means there's some dead ones that do grim. <laughs> yeah, why did you actually have to mention they're alive? Yeah, it's an important detail, man. Oh. That was so traumatizing, my voice almost went back to normal. That's what I'm aiming for. If I, if I keep saying weird shit, eventually it'll fix you. Oh. Well, have you met my first wife? No. <laughs> Moving on. Only once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, next one. Path of the Seer. So this is the longest and rarest and most dangerous of the path. I don't understand why it's the rarest. That's the part that we just remember about this. Because it's the path that involves looking into your psychic powers more. And I don't know if, like, there is a, a, like a, a minimum requirement of psychic gifts required to get you into this path. I don't know if it's, like, the only one with a prerequisite. Or if people just don't bother to do it, or what? Like, I don't know why it's meant to be the rarest one, because it seems like it should be one of the really common ones with the way Eldar are with their psychic powers. But yeah, apparently it's, it's, it's like now, the rarest one, which seems really weird to me. Yeah, yeah. it's now, now all I can think about is an Eldar version of Hogwarts. Oh, man. <laughs> can it not be a rip-off of Star Wars this time? Is that okay? Can we do that? <laughs> no. It has to be the same. How do you? <laughs> no, you raise an interesting point about the psychic nature of Eldars because um, every single one of them with focus uh, can generate Wraithbone. Um, they, they actually uh, manifest it out of the warp uh, or um, the webway. I can't remember exactly which, but they're able to grow wraithbone themselves so they can make small items like rings um uh, and other such size things um and so people that are good at that can then uh, become what's called bone singers uh, and these are the kind of um the mechanics they're the ones that are able to go in and uh, repair uh, vehicles and um structures that kind of thing so i think that's one of the first steps on uh, the path of the seer, but I may be wrong. No, no, you are absolutely right, because that was the first uh, kind of specialization of the path of the seer I was going to talk about, was the, the bone singers that are really good at growing wraithbone and controlling let wraithbone. Let me just say, let me just say, 
You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you covering that for me. That made it a lot easier. Uh, it, there's a few different ways it tends to go. So there's uh, there's the bone singers that are that can control wraith bone better than most, obviously, and kind of and can kind of specialize with that. Uh, there's also spirit seers who handle the creation of wraith guards and wraith lords. Uh, there are warlocks who are Eldar who have previously been on the path of the warrior, so they have military skills. So they kind of put the two, the psychic powers and the physical uh, warrior training together to become a, a, essentially a, a kind of uh, a leadership role within military, uh, which is quite a cool position, I, I think, actually. I think that's a cool way yeah. of doing it. It kind of follows the Peter principle for promotion, where you promote the best person to be in charge rather than, you know, just whoever. So I like the idea of having, like, the one dude in charge of the Eldar battle squad is uh, is the one dude who can, like, I don't know, fucking set you on fire from the inside out with magic and can kill you from four miles away by throwing a sword. Mm. It's a combination of skills that I really appreciate, you know? <laughs> Oh yeah, Farseers are the last one. So the Farseers are a people who have become lost on the path of the seer, and essentially they are the most powerful Eldar psychers. But basically, every one of them seems to be absolutely mental. <laughs> I'd imagine because for a human staring into the eye of terror will make you go mental. I imagine a Farseer has done far worse in their pursuit of studying the warp and psychic powers. Mm. I assume it just has that effect on you. It just kind of flays your mind. Almost like a mind flare. I was just going to say that they, uh, one of the most famous uh, Farseers is uh, Eldrad Ulthruin, who's um, the kind of head honcho of Ulthui uh, Craftworld. Um, and he has been around since before the Horus Heresy. He has existed as a Farseer for that time. Um, so they can be quite long-lived when they put their mind to it. Is that a pun? Uh, I didn't intend it to be, but yes. Good, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> like a good pun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last path is the path of the warrior. Uh, or I believe there is actually a shitload of paths. It's just the last one I can be bothered talking about or could find any great detail on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is also some unknown paths. Yes, aye, there, there's yeah. a lot of them because the way the paths seem to work is very dependent on basically who you have available to teach it. <laughs> so every craft world has access to different paths and things like that in different uh, different aspects. So for example, the uh, path of the artisan, you can want to specialize in a particular style of your craft, but if you don't have anyone that knows how to do that style, you're going to have a fucking hard time doing it. Yeah. So it's it's very it's very much a, what do you have on hand that you actually have as options for paths uh, becomes a thing in it. Path of the Warrior is very very susceptible to that detail because mm. obviously you need to have people that can teach you that fighting style or you can't learn that fighting style very easily. Mm. I'm sure there's once in a while someone that just figures out as they go, but. I'd like to hear about an Eldar that accidentally learned a, a particular style while trying to make up a new one. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the Eldar that are on the path of the warrior are known as Aspect Warriors, 
And that is our kind of section two. So we're going to run through a bunch of the different aspects and things like that. Uh, Dar, do you have anything else to say about the paths of the Eldar while we're here? Do you have any questions? Uh, one of the, um, the oft-overlooked but safest paths is the path of the map maker. All right. Um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to get lost on that one. Boom! <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> oh, well seen, you've got bells. Oh, God, that, that was amazing. Thank you for that. <laughs> Mez, any questions before we move on? No, no, no. I think, I think I'm, I'm just, just going to sit here and giggle for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to be fine. giggling about the audio now. Fuck. It's good. Mez, that just there when you're going, it was fine. It's good. It's all right. You sound like a very reassuring serial killer. It's fine. It's okay. I'm just going to take this knife. I'm going to take this knife and we'll just see what happens. It'll be good. It's fine. Don't think about it. Nothing like a reassuring serial killer. That's fine. Oh. Wouldn't that be great if there was like a, 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 a I suppose that you can call them a serial killer, but it'd be someone who kidnapped you, built you up emotionally, and then set you back, like released you. I think that's Stockholm be... syndrome. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we're back to Scandinavia again. No. <laughs> Apparently, I've got a lot of Danes in my basement, even though I don't have a basement. So we can probably try it on one of them. We can test your hypothesis. Like, when you invited me around to yours to have a morning Danish, I didn't really understand what you meant. <laughs> uh, okay, aspect. <laughs> I don't see this getting any better, and let's move on. Uh, okay, so, Dar did explain aspect warriors a little bit last time, which was very helpful, but just since it's been a week, we're going to round it out again. Um, the idea is uh, you follow the path of the warrior and then you pick one aspect of Warcraft inspired by their war god to study and master that's mm. the that's the gimmick here uh, yeah if, uh, with aspect warriors sorry to uh, leap in here no, aspect warriors you can imagine they're special forces units that's really how to think of them and they specialize in a single aspect hence aspect warriors uh, of combat um and so they're not like it's not a massed army it's a, a a group of elite warriors uh which are also technically priests right the thing i don't get about these guys right and i i i both love and respect and hate at the same time the way that games workshop seem to just reuse concepts right and the part that annoys me about Aspect Warriors is that for some reason they're all named as if they're a goddamn uh, Space Marine Legion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it just reminds me of the Beast and his Primarchs. <laughs> like, oh, did you not come up with a new concept, please? <laughs> Moving on. Moving right. on. So the first form of Aspect Warrior we're going to talk about are the Dire Avengers, because why not? These are the most common aspects, uh, aspect warriors, I guess. Uh, they're basically just well-rounded and kind of designed for combat flexibility. Nothing too special there, to be honest with you. Mm. Mm. 
for the record, there's a shitload of these, an actual unknown number of these, and probably new ones popping up every day and hidden in the corner of the random craft worlds, even though I don't know you get a corner of a world because they're round, but fuck it. Um, so I'm just going to run over a few of the major ones, just so people that are listening know I'm not pretending this is all of them. I just don't yeah. have four years to try and figure out all of them. <laughs> oh, I wanted you to go into uh, excruciating detail about the slicing orbs of Xandros. <laughs> <laughs> that is an actual I, I, I know I, I intentionally avoided it because <laughs> I felt like it would be more fun to actually deep dive on that at some point if I could okay second one Howling Banshees so close quarter specialists they basically use brutal precision to make up for a lack of brute strength which is fun we always like that <laughs> Uh, they're striking scorpions, also called quarter specialists, but more in the sense of like, of like a hunter. So they specialize with like stealth as well. So it's more like surprise attacks and like stalking your enemies and stuff like that involved in it yeah. as well. Uh, and if you'll forgive me, both of those, the howling banshees and the striking scorpions, have very dangerous helmets. They do. I'm just. I'm not even going to explain it. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably for the best. No, they've got. They've got um, the Howling Banshees have uh, kind of sonic amplifiers um, inside their helmets so that when they scream, it becomes this kind of nerve paralyzing screech that, uh, well, funnily enough, paralyzes the nerves of their enemy and then they're able to get in and uh, kick some ass. And with the Striking Scorpions, they have uh, a, a kind of similar deal, but it's, um, it's what's called the Scorpion Sting, which is the, or Mandy Blasters. Um, so it's two kind of small guns uh, on their lower jaw or of the helmet, um, kind of replicating uh, uh, the sting of a scorpion if you get too close. So they do take up a kind of totemic aspect of their uh, kind of uh, discipline. I do, I do like the Manda Blasters. They're quite a cool concept. Mm. Although I, I feel like they're also a weird concept. I feel like the person who suggested that first was probably looked at like he was a bit of a weirdo well it's uh i suspect it was jez goodwin and you know uh i think i had mentioned last uh episode that uh if you want to see the very first kind of uh public description of the paths and aspect warriors you go looking for white dwarf 127 which was in 88 and that details the first kind of army list for aspect warriors um but about four at four three or four um, issues before that, the he released, or as part of a White Dwarf, was released um, a big kind of uh, graphics uh, spread of the sketches of the Aspect Warriors and what they look like underneath the helmets and the different types of weapon they have um, as well. Because Striking Scorpions are armed with a chain sword and a scorpion pistol, uh, sorry, a shuriken pistol, and the Mandy Blasters, but in some of the original artwork, you could see that you could swap out the um, chain sword for a power glove, uh, as uh, you know, power fist, as they're called now. Hmm. Wasn't the power glove that old uh, uh, gaming thing? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the kind of haptic feedback thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Weird. Mm. Maybe that's why they renamed it. Maybe they're going to get sued. Uh, the next one I'm gonna, we're going to talk about is the Dark Reapers, which I quite like. I'm a big fan of the I'm a big fan of the Dark Reapers, and I'm a huge fan of the Fire Dragons. They're probably my two favorites, to be honest with you. Mm. 
the Dark Reapers are long-range fire support troops. So they're they use cannons basically. They they take in like heavy weapons. Uh, but as with everything Eldar, it's like specialized to the point that a cannon can be wielded with surgical precision. And I fucking love that. There's something about the contrast in there. It's just like my favorite thing. I just like the idea that there's um it's a very kind of uh, emo slash goth unit. So it's like uh it's Halloween gone very wrong. Uh <laughs> As a, a unit of um, uh, these guys stand on a hill, uh, launching. I think it's it's missile launchers, isn't it? That's what they have. Typically, uh, yes. Reaper, reap, reaper launchers. Yeah. But I can remember their uh, their leader. I'm sure you're going to cover the concept of exarchs later on. But their leader carries. Uh, it's a, a what did they call it? A flail of skulls, which was um, just effectively a load of chains with metal skulls on the end that it would just whip at people uh, and, uh, you know, fly through the sky and whack them in the head. <laughs> Angry bowlers, I think. Is yeah, I was going to say, but they'll sound like a bowler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, coincidentally, I think I may have. That wasn't a bowler joke. Anyway, carrying on. Oh, oh I, I just got to... I missed that. <laughs> yeah, never mind. I I feel I need to reassure the listeners. I this is a hundred percent what I'm like all the time, but I'm also quite ill. <laughs> I mean, if all that's that serious, I'm sorry. I'd love to come out, but I've got a bleeding anus. Have a good day. <laughs> I think that's a different thing. I think, yeah, that's, I, tell you, I think that's a separate issue you may have to talk to someone about. That's yeah, pretty normal, right? I won't be able to do it without talking about your morning Danishes. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I hope you'll start thinking I actually have Danish people locked in a hypothetical basement. Uh, fire dragons, these guys are cool, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, they're essentially co uh, close quarters anti-armor troops. Uh, so typically they carry a fusion gun, which will turn a person into pink mist or a tank into molten slag in seconds, which is just hilariously cool to me. It is, it is awesome. Yeah. I think if you've never turned part of your own body into pink mist, um, you just don't know how funny it actually is. Uh, it, interestingly enough, pink mist was the name I used to dance under. Oh, it's my stripper name. <laughs> I thought your stripper name was Molten Slag. <laughs> no, no, that's my ginger friend. <laughs> or a duo sometimes. Oh, yeah, a duo. <laughs> uh, we have the Swooping Hawks next. So these, the, essentially their concept is death from above. Their armor has wings, so they fly over the enemy and just rain gunfire and grenades from above. Which I feel like Mez yeah, would appreciate. I... Mez usually likes stuff like that. What do you like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> angry butterflies. Yeah. Gotta love an angry butterfly. That's true. <laughs> Is that a sex thing? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Angry pirate is, and that is hilarious. <laughs> I just threw up a bit in my mouth. 
<laughs> Where do you find out what an angry pirate actually is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, warp spiders, they're another one. They specialize in aggressive defense, which is possibly one of my favorite concepts ever. Uh, mm. They use teleportation to perform hit and run attacks, which I can't figure out for the life of me why any Eldar troop doesn't use teleportation all the time because it is impossible to kill someone that can teleport. Just saying. Uh, yeah, but the the teleportation technology they use is unreliable because it opens miniature warp gates that zaps them through. It actually comes through in the rules as well, that if you roll... I think you used to have to roll 2d6 for your for the range of the, the jump, and if you rolled a double one, or I think if you rolled a double, um, uh, one of your units... Uh, one of your guys just w is taken off as uh, having been swallowed by Slanesh. Hilarious. So it, it it's not without its uh, it's not without its dangers. Ah, who cares? It's fine. It's not like the Eldar are a very limited species. That's true enough. <laughs> uh, but the the warp spiders are named after uh, an actual thing called a warp spider, and they are uh, psychic wraithbone beings that live inside. Um, the Wraithbone core uh, of the um, craft worlds, or as we discussed last time, the um, oh, what you call them? The worlds, the Exodite worlds. Yes, the main worlds. Uh, and and the, their only kind of the only way they exist, or sorry, let's start. <laughs> and they exist purely to keep the kind of infinity infinity circuit clean. So they'll, they'll actually go in and eat the souls uh, within the infinity circuit of any um, like of uh, any kind of demon or any wrong-thinking Eldar that gets stored uh, within the Wraithbone uh, Matrix. Um, so that's what they do. They're, they're aggressively defending the souls of their race, uh, these little kind of spiders. Very cool. I do like those guys. Uh, mm. They they remind me a lot of, or well, they're almost exactly the same, I guess, as the concept of the what they call the things that protect the Necron Tomb worlds. Oh, the Canopic spiders. That's uh, I love those dudes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the very cool, cool concepts. I don't think we've mentioned them before, actually. Oh, we just did. Oh, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. Uh, so the next is the Shining Spears. They use jet bikes to carry out like lightning attacks. So basically also a form of hit and run, but with a jet bike instead of teleporting magic. Which, yeah, space Bretonians. That's what they are. Basically, yeah. Or just uh, elf white scars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they're very similar concept. Uh, You're a very cynical man, Ryan. I do like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's what being Scottish does to you. I'll be honest. <laughs> I've in my in my time living here, I've never noticed. <laughs> I feel like maybe we're rubbing off on you. Uh, <laughs> and we're back to your breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> you leave my breakfast out of this. I'm going to be honest with you. My breakfast was a very subpar curry today at about one p.m. So there you go. What kind of day I'm having? You really sure to hear the depression Ooh. sitting today? Next, we have the Crimson Hunters, specialized in air superiority. They use high-speed aircrafts to take control of airspace, which is interesting to me because I feel like I don't think about um, 
normal aircraft within 40k nearly enough. It's mm. my my thoughts go from ground troops to uh, to space battles and nothing in the middle, which is odd because how many planets must there actually be that don't have space travel but do have an air force? Six. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm gonna find out which six those are. <laughs> gonna make a point of learning that. Uh, next we have Shadow Spectres, which specialize in high mobility, high firepower. Uh, so I I fucking love the weaponry these guys carry. They carry a prism rifle, which alone is a powerful weapon, uh, but they can use the entire squad's uh, prism rifles to concentrate into one beam to make it much more powerful. So it can take down like anti-tank, or it can take down tanks as anti-armor weaponry and stuff like that. They're from um, the, the, sorry, the Shadow Spectres, they were the one from the Forge World book, right? The Doom of Mimeria. Yes, I believe so. My Mimara. Yeah. However you pronounce that. Uh, although it's it's the it's a similar technology to the way the Blackstone Fortress re- weaponry works, and I really appreciate that because I feel like the Blackstone Fortresses kind of set in a world of their own within 40k because of yeah. the way they're seen as being like the most powerful thing around in terms of like spaceships and shit like that. Uh, they're seen as this massive, devastating force with very little equal, and it, it really does set them aside. And I really appreciate that you kind of see a glimpse of the same concept with it, just this weaponry, that they can have that same focusing ability. Yeah. But I feel like it's very dangerous to do that while, with a couple of Blackstone Fortresses. I mean, you certainly need to have a risk assessment. But yeah. <laughs> Osha would be all over that shit. <laughs> Uh, and the last one I'm going to mention is the Eagle Pilots, which also specialize with uh, aircraft usage, but like fighter jet type rather than uh, I, I don't know. I didn't say I didn't say what type the other ones use. To be honest with you, uh, but the idea is these guys are more for like dog fighting than anything else. Yeah, they're the ones that go for um, the night wings, uh, and also I think there's some sub. Uh, subgroup within there that does the the vampire um, bombers as well. Oh, cool! I didn't yeah. know that. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely getting that. All right. Anything you want to say about uh, aspect warriors? No, uh, I'm I'm very pro aspect warrior. Yeah. Uh, I like them. Uh, that was it. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Com- comments, questions. No, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, okay. Thanks, guys. You're really adding a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a problem with Dar being sick. Well, I'm not I'm I'm not engaging as much as I would. That's it, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I just I felt I railroaded over everything last time, so I'm just I'm I'm maybe overcorrecting. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose then, if to answer your question, uh about um uh, anything else to add for aspect warriors, uh I think there's really two other further aspects to the aspect warriors. Uh to highlight and one is that they they are a semi kind of um, ritual uh, temple so each each aspect each group uh, has their own temple on craft worlds uh, invariably there's just one of each uh, with the exception of I think uh, the dire Avengers where there are multiple different temples on every single um every single craft world given how 
uh, common they are and, and how it's the kind of foundational aspect of aspect warriors. Um, to get lost on the path of the warrior, to get lost within the aspect warrior kind of milieu is to become an exarch, which is the kind of high priest of each of the temples. Um, and these are the in, these are the perfected embodiment of um, the military training, the military aspect, and invariably they're the ones that lead them um, in uh, battle. Uh, are you going to cover the Phoenix Lords? I was not going to. Would you like to okay. have a quick run over if you want, if you're interested? So the uh, the Phoenix Lords are uh, are the uh, original um, kind of uh, embodiments of the uh, specific aspect. So there was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the first Phoenix Lord was Azurman, who is the the Hand of Azure, uh, who is one of the kind of or is the chief Eldar god, uh, and he is the Phoenix Lord of the Dire Avengers aspect, and so it was he already embodied that aspect in his natural kind of day-to-day -day life and so then started to teach other Eldar about how to make war in this fashion uh, and all of the aspects have a phoenix lord although uh, really not all of them are named um, for instance the uh, howling banshees their phoenix lord is a woman called Jane Czar uh, and she very much is this kind of uh, force of how would you describe it um kind of uh it's it really it's a kind of sexist it's the uh, embodiment of a wronged woman the kind of celtic uh, understanding of what a banshee is that's what she would be mm. um so she is a um, kind of just pure fury uh, very loosely kind of bound within the frame of the armor and the armor is a very important aspect of it because only the armor really exists. Uh, there's some evidence that once an Eldar puts on a Phoenix Lord's armor, um, they become subsumed to the will of the Phoenix Lord that's in there. So each Phoenix Lord is covered in uh, soul stones, each one of which holds the... Um, the soul of the elder that previously wore that armor. Uh, and armor is not passed on, it's found, um, as if by, you know, destiny, uh, where an elder will come across a Phoenix Lord's armor, uh, and if they want to, they can put it on, but then that Phoenix Lord is then reborn, hence the Phoenix part of the Phoenix Lord. Um, those really are the two aspects. I mean, we could go on for hours about them, uh, and I won't. Um, but um, <laughs> um, those are two very important um, structures within um, or characters within uh, aspect, the, the kind of temples of the aspect warriors. Excellent. Good luck editing that. Yeah, I'll figure out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are going to get into the kind of weapons of the Eldar in a general concept, I guess. Um so the most common weapons used by the Eldar in forms of ranged weapons are your uh, shuriken weapons. So they are loaded with solid ammunition, it's like a normal gun would be, rather than like a las weapon or a plasma weapon or anything like that. 
And when they are fired, uh, what happens is it, a high-energy pulse shears off a monocellular layer of the ammunition disc, which is then fired, making it basically about as sharp as anything could possibly be and able to cut mm. almost anything, which is cool. But it also means that it can, uh, these weapons can typically fire at the rate of hundreds per second. So that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a friend who tried to work out if you could do the same with a pepperoni. Probably. Hmm. I'm going to look into that now. You've interested me. You've piqued my interest. <laughs> You've piqued my... Hey, I was about to say <laughs> I beat you to it. Uh, so these weapons take the form of pistols, rifle forms, known as shuriken catapults, and then cannons. So just varying sizes of shuriken launcher, basically. Yeah. Uh, the, Origi- uh, sorry. Originally, in the in the um, in the sculpts, these were uh, just magazine fed. It would the the shurikens were already pre sliced uh, and put in a kind of circular um, uh, magazine, which sat on top of the shuriken. But uh, I think somewhere around third or fourth edition, they shifted to this kind of idea of uh, a solid bar that is sliced and uh, and then fired on. Very cool, though. <coughs> so, uh, the next thing is, they also possess weapons similar uh, similar to the Imperial LAS weapons. So they use technology to fire condensed, filtered, and refined lasers as ammunition. Uh, and these take the form of a bunch of different things. So you've got bright lances, which fire an extremely focused uh, laser to take down heavy armor. You've got scatter lasers, which essentially fill the role of a shotgun. Pulse lasers, which are a burst fire version of the bright lance. Uh, las blasters, which are rapid fire versions. Laser lances, which are low range, high firepower. Uh, the rangers have long rifles, which are typically cast by uh, carried by outcast rangers, and is essentially a sniper rifle form. And mm. yeah, thoughts on. Eldar Laz weapons. It sounds lethal. It cool. fucking does. I like that they have a shotgun version. <laughs> you know I like my yeah, shotgun. Yeah, well, the know. scatter laser, yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool concept. I, I, I don't know what you'd use it for. I know. That, well, those are the ones that caused the big kind of upset, I think, in 7th edition, where jet bikes were able to... Every jet bike was able to take a scatter laser firing D6 shots, or 6 shots, because they got rid of randomized uh, hits. Um, and so you you know you had this what was called the uh, the jet bike Death Star would fly around the table just taking out units left right and centre because <laughs> you'd be firing six shots per vehicle at least. That is fantastic. I love it. I, lo- I love the the lack of balancing with this stuff. <laughs> uh, so they also have the fusion guns that we mentioned with the fire dragons as well that melts shit, which is just very cool to me. Genuinely, my absolute favorite part of Eldar weaponry is the fusion gun. Because it's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, I mean, it's a melter gun, isn't it? That, Basically, um, yeah. It seems like it's just a better form of it. Yeah, because like at the start, and during Rogue Trader 40k, they, um, it was just one kind of common... Uh, list of weapons that all the races kind of shared and it was implied that they were you know uh, they 
they were developed separately, but they kind of fulfilled the same um, role within each army. Um, but yeah, melter weapons, I'm a big fan too. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I, I feel like it just, it fills something primal, you know? I just, I like seeing things melt. That's always good <laughs> to have something primal filled. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> Okay, there there is one more type of like guns that uh, the Eldar use that I can't think of a good way to explain. And I'm hoping Dark can help. The monofilament weapons. Can you think of a reasonable oh, yeah. way to explain them? Um, bum, 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 bum. Okay, if you can imagine someone who has these are kind of like the Harlequin. Oh no, it's not. Is it? It's the the uh, warp spider guns. Yes, I was thinking of the Harlequins. Um, the Harlequin kiss. So this thing fires out strengthened steel wire, although it's it's not steel, um, but it's one or two molecules thick, and it sprays it out as a cloud. Ah, there we go. It's really, really, really angry, silly string. You know, that you spray from a can? <laughs> that, that's what it is. You spray it on, it rests upon people or vehicles or settlements, and anything that moves gets cut to ribbons because it's kind of it works its way in um into your uh, body oh, in a very in a very yeah in a very non-consensual way oh yeah i could imagine uh, just, i could imagine just uh, wipes you out the harlequin's kiss which yeah, you guys will cover later on with the harlequins it's the same principle but the harlequin's kiss uh, pierces into your body and releases the same mesh inside your body Pulping your organs instantly. Ah, so cut you from the inside out. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. You get turned into a fleshy bag of soup. Yeah. Or some kind of sushi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imperial sashimi. That's just what we need. Yeah. I suppose it really depends what the humans have eaten. Mm. <laughs> Why is everyone giving us rice? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so they've uh, so the warp spider guys, the aspect warriors, they have a rifle that does this. Um, the harlequins obviously have various different types of pistol and close combat weapon that does something similar. And then we have oh god, what's it called? The night weaver, which is this huge tank that can blanket entire areas in this stuff. Uh, and really, it's you know it's disruptive. It. it it stops movement. It stops battle plans. In addition to killing people, which just yeah. sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but effective. Yeah. Oh yeah, very effective. You hate it when an Eldar shoots a butterfly in it at you, and then you just—that's it. It's over. Great. You get minced. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be worse dealing with that, like being the one hit by it, or seeing someone be hit by that. Because I feel like that'd be pretty horrific. I uh, definitely get a hit by it. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely would. I think I could cope with the PTSD because I would still be in one piece. You know, like, because <laughs> I feel like if the guy next to you gets hit by that, like someone close enough for you to see it happen, I feel like you just know what's about to happen to you now, rather than yeah. Like, I'd rather it was just over and done with than having to know that was about to happen to me <laughs> before it happens to me. You know what I mean? I don't want the awareness of that. I'd like it to just be over. Yeah, 
instantly. Yeah, from, I feel like there's a point where you see the guy next to you get hit by that and you just turn your own gun on yourself. <laughs> I've forgotten which, uh, I think it might have been an episode of Futurama where Fry is sitting in a foxhole with another soldier and um, someone says, oh yeah, it's the calm before the storm. The wait, The worst part is the waiting. And then someone says, but the battle will be okay, right? <laughs> oh yeah obviously yeah it'll be fine it'll be fine the easy bit everyone knows that uh so before we move on to melee weapons I, I there's so grenade wise they have pretty standard grenades they have plasma grenades and melter bombs which are pretty standard as far as bombs go uh but the one i want to mention is the haywire grenade in particular because mm. it's used for neutralizing vehicles it's genuinely just an emp grenade yeah, yeah, perfect. Which I love. <laughs> There's nowhere near enough EMPs used in 40k. You just turn off a space marine. Like, it's great. <laughs> like, basically, everything that's actually a threat to the Eldar has to be powered up by something like that, or by magic. It's one of, You either have to have crazy tech to power you up, or you have to have magic. And you can turn off half of those options very easily. And nowhere I mean, near enough people carry these. I mean, what if you have an at magic EMP? Ah, then they're useless, Well, the, huh? well the, the Imperium does have those, actually. They, I think they basically just grind up uh, blanks and put them in bombs. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what the proper name... Oh, psych-out missiles. Yeah, they, they have a yeah. thing called psych-out missiles which in lore is said to be made from the dust on the Golden Throne, uh, which is just nonsense, because apparently they're actually made using uh, using priors. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they just paste the prior and put them in a bomb. Ugh. Yeah. Because, uh, like like I said, I've been, I've been reading the Beckwin novels that were recommended to me last time by Dar, and in that, they mentioned that it's said that they're made from the from the dust on the Golden Throne. <laughs> yeah. But in in the in the Plague War series, Gilliman states that they're made from pariahs. <laughs> so that's fun. I feel like Gilliman's the one I trust. I just love the idea that the the someone would let the the Golden Throne get dusty. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Why the hell would it be dusty? But more to the point, everyone in the room with the Emperor is in armor. Where the hell's dust going to come from? Haywire grenades are quite fun. I feel like if we can get some psych-out grenades and some haywire grenades together, basically you win 40k. Yeah. It's just like, the only people that can fight you after that are just normal people. And then like, I don't know, like a, a normal handgun nowadays would win you that fight. <laughs> like, cool, alright. Just really level these playing fields. I feel like what we need is a way to manufacture both in mass scale and then provide every guardsman with them, and then the guardsman will become an actual force to be reckoned with. Seems like a like a solid call to me. Why is my dog freaking out again? Someone just threw a dust grenade at That's it. That's what it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna get into melee weapons now a bit. Uh, this is yay. I've I've more just got some of them some of my uh, favoured uh, the fancy versions of melee weapons because fuck the boring ones because they're just swords and shit but they're like fancy yeah. magic swords well they're power swords but still uh, so my first one that I have is the witch blade which is hilariously cool uh, so people that follow the path of the seer or the warlock uh, will carry the witch blade and it's a sword that uh, is physic or sorry psychically attuned to the user. 
and it increases their strength to crazy levels. So they can usually cut through like the heaviest power armor or even tanks in like one swing, which mm. is just awesome. <laughs> Honestly, someone cleave a tank in half with a sword. <laughs> well, it used to be in the um, in the first pass at the uh, Craft World uh, Eldar that you could add in your uh, psychic points into your uh, attack, into your melee attack with a witch blade. And I've forgotten it. I think it added two strength and two armor penetration, or the the the, the version that they had back then, per psychic point. So you could cut a Lehman Russ in half. That's very cool. <coughs> uh, the next one is Power Blades, which are... Did you just spit at my fact? What? Did you just spit at my fact? I heard you go... Pita. No, I coughed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't a great fact, but I didn't need to be spat on. <laughs> no, no, I saved my spitting for special events. And we're back to the Danish. Yeah, right we hey! are. Hey! <laughs> okay. Anyway, witch blades. Power, witch no, blades. power blades. Uh, I beg your pardon. You better. Uh, they are forearm <laughs> mounted blades, so they leave the hands uh, open, and they use a self-contained power field to increase their cutting power, which is very cool. Although it's, it basically follows a similar concept to, like, to all of their swords that have the kind of power field on them, uh, but these ones are special because they're attached to your forearms instead, and they look like big mandible claws. Mm. Very cool. And and it allows you to carry another weapon as well. You can carry a a, a, a larger weapon yeah. uh, in combination with yeah, that. Yeah, and it acts as like a van brace guard as well because they're mounted on your mm. forearms, which is cool. Very, very useful weapon. I feel like sword guns are a great concept, but being able to have just a sword, <laughs> or two swords and two guns, also very fun. <laughs> uh, next is the mirror swords, which I love. They are twin blades used in a mirror form. So you have uh, one that's forehand and one that's reverse grip. And it is used in an extremely complex sword form, which is really cool. But it does make them a cunt to fight uh, in like close quarters because you really don't know what the fuck they're doing. And I'm pretty sure they don't either. I think it's like, you know, those drunken martial arts styles that you have to be drunk to do. Yeah. I feel like it's like fighting someone that does that. You don't know what their next move is, and they don't either. <laughs> I was just, I, I have to admit, when you said they, it's a mirrored fighting style, and I was like, what? They have one in their left hand and one in their right hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be one in their left hand and one in their other left hand. Gosh. <laughs> Dire swords are the next one I had. Uh, they are one-handed power swords that contain a spirit stone. So anyone that's cut by the blade can just be outright killed by the spirit inside the stone, which is very cool to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great death being sucked off by a sword, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I'm sure the mechanic I'm going to be into it. Wait, this porcelain <laughs> you're talking about, what, what is that from? <laughs> okay, Ryan, go. <laughs> no, because I feel like we've talked about this before. These are spirit stones. So if you can imagine, um, it's uh, in the kind of fall myth of the Eldar race, their kind of high queen, uh, Aisha, um, wept when they were no longer allowed to talk to the Eldar in person. And so her, her tears turned into what's called waystones. 
which are these psychoactive um, gemstones within which you can store one or more Eldar soul, like Eldar conscience. So you see on a lot of the Eldar miniatures, they all have a stone, a waystone on them, so that if that Eldar dies, their soul immediately goes into that stone, which can then be collected uh, after the battle and put in uh, special mounts on the uh, Wraithbone core of their craft world, and then that soul joins the kind of great... Um, soul orgy is the wrong word. <laughs> Uh, uh, soul soup of the uh, Eldar race for that given craft world it also gives them certain benefits because you can draw the soul of a warrior soul of an experienced warrior into a stone and then attach it to something like a member of the wraith guard and then that soul operates and inhabits that machine and you see that at all scales up to eldar titans obviously there's a mix of living and dead but it's this that gives the eldar this or the craft world eldar this reputation for necromancy yeah <laughs> that's the best reaction i've ever had to try to explain <laughs> something yeah <laughs> you gotta say it like an excited yes. child or it doesn't count I feel like that reaction is a, is not accurate in the a lot of times when we speak about Warhammer though because like the majority of Warhammer is just death and well more death and despair and <laughs> yeah that reaction doesn't fit in well but I mean maybe it does it's, it's a matter of perspective I guess <laughs> yeah I think so I mean I think the Elder are actually quite a hopeful race well the craft world ones and are anyway <laughs> um, I think they have to be they're, uh, yeah I mean they deal with you know they you're walking around with, um, you know, possessed jewellery all the time. And um, you're bumping into your dead mates who are inhabiting various things. Uh, everything from, you know, soldiers to toasters, I suspect. Uh, and then ultimately they're going to, well, you're going to cover the Yanari, so I'll, I'll leave that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the last one of the melee weapons I was going to mention was the Biting Blades. Uh, so they're large two-handed chainsword capable of cutting through flesh or armor very easily, which I just love chainswords because mm. it really um, it really speaks to the fact that whoever designed chain weapons as a concept for 40k has no idea how a chainsaw works because when they get wet they slip, so it wouldn't cut through flesh. <laughs> It doesn't matter how you design it, it chain, chain stuff by design won't cut through a person. It'll injure them greatly, and then it'll be completely useless. It'll just be a big vibrating stick. And we all know how dangerous <laughs> they can be. No. Exactly. No. <laughs> it just changes from a weapon of, or from, it changes from an instrument of war to an instrument of slanesh worship very quickly try to use <laughs> any chain weaponry. <laughs> just throwing that out there but I love the concept of a gigantic two-handed chainsword oh I'm really pleased you said chainsword <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else but yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm pleased you're, you're kind to us Ryan yes. <laughs> wait till we get to the Slanesh episode oh god, oh god. I realised this was a good point to do a little bit of outsourcing here so I'm going to I'm gonna dump some responsibility on Adar here uh, if oh. he's willing uh oh <laughs> Anyway. Okay, come to my house and get in my basement and then I'll explain. 
Uh, <laughs> no, actually, um, I was going to ask if you wanted to expand on the Eldar craft world troops outside of the aspect warriors a little bit. Ooh. Yes, delighted to. Um, I suppose we should start with the paths that have been mentioned earlier. Every Eldar, regardless of what path they're in, can be mobilized for war. Uh, and fundamentally, it comes down to the psychosocial link they have with uh, Kyle Mensha Cain, uh, who is the war god, the bloody-handed god of the Eldar. There's a ritual called the Ritual of the Young King, in where an exarch, which is, as we've discussed, is one of the aspect warriors who is lost on the path of the warrior, is elected and sent into this chamber that is at the heart of all craft worlds. And in there, there is a kind of inert statue uh, of uh, Kyle Mensha Kane. Now, I've just realized I've been calling him Kyle. It's uh, Kayla Mensha Kane. I was just leaving um, you to say Kyle. It was more fun. Yeah. So anyway, Kyle is uh, he's sitting on this throne in this chamber and the doors close and then there is um, noises one would imagine from an abattoir and then the doors are flung open and the uh, the chamber is on fire. Uh, the war god, who I'm now not going to call my name, uh, walks out. Um, all right, I'll call him Wayne. Wayne the war god walks out of this chamber and the only kind of remains of the young king are is a, the kind of blood that's continuously dripping uh, from the god's hands, the statue's hands. When that happens, when the doors are flung open, it is at that moment that, for want of a better word, all the Eldar on the craft world are triggered into uh, kind of war mode. So whether they're on the path of the artisan, um, on the path of the path of the um, warrior, or uh, path of the seer, or whatever other path, um, they instantly go to the kind of marshalling points where they're issued their armor, they're issued their weapons, and the whole craft world then is on a war footing. Um, so every Eldar. Uh, of fighting age is expected to fight for their craft world when the war god is awakened. This then largely falls into kind of infantry uh, troops, mounted troops and armoured vehicles. So for infantry you've got various flavours of what's called guardians. The most common are guardian defenders. These are bog standard Eldar troops armed with a shuriken catapult, uh, some armour and a handful of grenades, that's it. And they go off uh, in units, usually supported by a hovering platform that has on it a heavy weapon of some kind. The These are the kind of ranged specialists, in quotes, of Bog Standard Eldar. Uh, you then have the Eldar Storm Guardians. Now these are the close combat troops and they're armored usually with chain swords uh, and um, shuriken pistols. Again, they are, what we're now seeing in the latest iteration of the Codex is that they also have a hovering platform which provides like a, a shield generator which allows them to get into close combat, you know, uh, as safely, in quotes, as possible. Those are the kind of basic 
infantry troops of the craft world. But they then have contingents of rangers, which are from the path of the outcast, uh, and pathfinders, who are arguably the ones that are lost on the path of the outcast, the path of the scout. So those are the infantry types. You then have the kind of mounted troops, and these are the jet bikes, uh, the viper support jet bikes. Uh, arguably, you also have war walkers in there, because they could be classed as a kind of mounted cavalry kind of troop. Um, so the jet bikes uh, are armed with uh, double shuriken catapults underneath and can be upgraded to a shuriken cannon and these are the ones that kind of just literally jet around the battlefield uh, picking off uh, targets of opportunity as often as not. The Viper's then very much a heavy weapons jet bike, a heavy weapon platform uh, jet bike that supports uh, the kind of standard jet bikes within the, their units. The War Walkers uh, very much, if you're a fan of Star Wars, it's the blah, 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 somewhere between uh, a chicken scout walker of the Empire and the little small walkers, whose name I am missing. Um, uh, the kind of weird, uh, kind of hoppy runner walkers that um, the rebels have access to. Uh, it's a it's a bipedal machine. There's one pilot. And it's equipped with two different types of heavy weapons. So that's really the kind of cavalry mounted types of troops. And then for vehicles, you have uh, a lot of things that are going to be based around the Falcon Grav Tank, which is very much, if you can imagine, the Eldar version of a Rhino. Because you know, like uh, a Rhino can have uh, a Predator sash chassis, a Whirlwind chassis, that kind of idea. There's bits they add on. So you have the Falcon Grav Tank, you have the Wave Serpent, which is the armoured personnel carrier. You then have the Firestorm, which is the uh, kind of heavy crystal lance uh, weapon, uh, like an anti-tank weapon. Uh, and then you have the Night Weaver, which sprays out that um, the angry Brillo pad uh, wire mesh that cuts everything from before. Into that mix... Really, that's the core, but I would add in the kind of necromantic uh, machines. You have the Wraith Guard uh, and Wraith Blades. They are armed with... Uh, wraith Blades are swords and axes. Wraith Guard, in general, are D-cannons, distortion cannons, that open up warp gates inside or next to targets. And so, if you'll excuse the phrase, suck them into the warp. <laughs> You then have the uh, a larger version, which is the Dreadnoughts, uh, which are called uh, Wraith Lords, but they were originally very much like a Space Marine Dreadnought. There was the uh, the kind of spirit, the anguish spirit of an Eldar was uh, held within the Dreadnought, and invariably they have one or two heavy weapons and and their fists. You then have, what are the giant ones called? I think it's Wraith Knights. These are the uh, the kind of towering walkers, very much like a Wraith Lord. Uh, it is Wraith Knights. Is, yes. And these, these Wraith Knights, they're piloted by a set of twins. One is alive and the other one is, is dead, what? but uh, manifested within a soul stone that's mounted in the, in the cockpit of this uh, walker. Um, and that allows it to perform, you know, various swift actions because you've got two. There's 
the dead uh, sibling controls the kind of autonomic responses of walking and uh, movement and the living pilot then has more awareness of uh, combat that kind of thing i'm sorry does it have does it have to be twins yes yes every single <laughs> it's time it's very grim every single time it has to be twins uh, yeah. if it's not twins and one's not dead it just doesn't count yeah Gosh. which begs the question are there incidents where one twin will be killed on purpose yes. i don't know the answer i would assume yeah. yes, yes based on it's yeah. 40k oh, yes jesus jesus mez you leapt in with a yes there really quick no it's because it's like ryan said it's, it's warhammer <laughs> if yeah. there's a yeah. grim twist to it it's probably the right you know answer <laughs> um so that's really the kind of eldar panoply of war that's the the infantry and the vehicles and the light vehicles and stuff did i miss anything i, can't I think don't I think so i think you gave us a pretty good rundown of it yeah mm. uh, i mean obviously then you've got in there the aspect warriors the far seers uh, and so forth um an interesting oh an interesting uh kind of uh, troop type is the autark uh, who is the kind of uh, military genius uh, and so these are Eldar who have gone through two or more of the aspects of aspect warriors because they've, you know, they've felt they mastered it to such a level and then moved on to another one rather than getting lost and becoming an exarch. Um, and they have access to the equipment from their old temples. Um, so you can get some quite good combinations of equipment and war gear for an individual Eldar. And I mean, they look really, really good um, on the tabletop. Um, and those are the kind of generals of the Eldar forces outside of the Phoenix Lords and the Farseers. Thank you. That was nice. very well done. I appreciate that. You sneaky bastard. <laughs> I had no idea I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I did mean to tell you. I just kind of forgot. I was like, ah, I <laughs> I mean, I will say on the flights, it's very good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Well done, well done. Like the wall walkers. Oh yeah, sorry. Let's continue. They're pretty cool. Uh, so lastly, I'm just going to give us a very quick run through of the kind of troops that the Exodites use, but in no great detail because, well, it's mostly dinosaurs, I'll be honest. Uh, so as far as Exodite troops go, typically their troops will use the, or their infantry will use the typical uh, shuriken weapons, or Wraithbone sniper rifles, which is possibly one of the coolest things that the Exodites have. Mm. I love the idea of just making guns out of Wraithbone. It just sounds really cool. I don't know why. Then we have uh, Dragon Knight Dinosaur Riders, which is a very cool title. Uh, and they typically ride a Megadon or a Pterosaur, which... I, I don't know I don't know if like a dinosaur coming at you on its own isn't terrifying enough, but having an Eldar riding it makes it somehow worse. Don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. The idea of a um, an Eldar riding a dinosaur and it coming at you, it's terrifying. It is probably terrifying. Oh, yeah. Mainly because I think that like a dinosaur coming at you, you're like, well, it's a dinosaur. I know what's going to happen here. I'm going to get fucking eaten or like torn apart. I think once it has an Eldar on the back, you're like, I don't even know what the fucking thing is going to do. <laughs> throws all assumptions clean out the window I think mm. uh, they also do have a bunch of other dinosaurs that they use for combat which is fun they have megasaurs, brachiosaurs, carnosaurs and archaeosaurs 
which they sometimes mount mil- uh, artillery style weapons on top of, mm. which is a horrifying concept. Well, it's no different to the um, the lizard men, is it, in uh, Fantasy Battle or Age of Sigmar? They've got that kind of uh, laser cannon, for want of a better word, mounted on the back of a triceratops. Yeah, but I think that if you add basically anything from fantasy into 40k, you immediately go, well, it's not really a threat in 40k, is it? Yeah. Short of actual slam priests and their crazy warp magic, um, I don't <laughs> think there's a lot within it that's actually seen as a danger other than very few pinpointed threats. Like, for example, uh, Clan Pestilence, I would say, would be a threat to 40k because of the scale at which a disease could spread if if made uh, made viral enough right it's true enough yeah but i don't think that typically any troops or artillery or anything like that would really be seen as anything i think if you used one of their fucking trebuchets or something like that from bretonia like a space marine would probably just punch the boulder in half and move on like, you know what I mean? I don't think there's a lot of stuff in Fantasy 3 seen as an actual threat. <coughs> Moving on rapidly. World Singers. World Singers are cool. They're basically druids. That's fun. Uh, no, they're they're kind of like the Bone Singers from the Path of the Seer, except the Exodites, because they're not craft world, do it in their own kind of way. So they have World Singers who are essentially just psychers that are able to control nature or manipulate nature which is very fun and i feel like basically just making a tree slap someone is a great way to put them off guard (laughs) (laughs) that's me what a gentle way of phrasing i'm sure that's like no no i mean that genuinely just a slap with a a limb of a tree while they're walking through a forest (laughs) wait that doesn't seem right slap i'm starting to doubt this is a real tree slap I wonder how many slaps you get before someone just shoots a tree for no reason. <laughs> I feel like it would very quickly come to people just gunning down trees, just <laughs> confusion <laughs> and, and frustration. It's one of them four bit ones. Shame on you. Four bit twice. Boom. <laughs> <You know. laughs> uh, and the I guess the last thing I'm going to run over these guys, uh, although Dar did mention it, the Eldar Knights, which are obviously wraithbone constructs uh, that just act like Imperial Knights, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think Dar explained that one, to be honest with you. But the Exodites do have them as well. Yeah, but those are distinct from the Wraith Knights of the craft world because they are um, they're kind of atavistic manifestations of the uh, Exodite uh, ideas. I, I can only remember two of them at the minute. One is which uh, is the Bright Stallion, which is a centaur-like machine that uh, has a huge lance, like a pulse lance. And then there's the Towering Destroyer, which is the uh, kind of four-armed machine that has various types of heavy weaponry and close combat weapons. Uh, but they were designed originally to kind of be herders herding the uh, the megasaurs around the various planets uh, and that was the original idea for imperial knights as well it was farm equipment that just became weaponized yeah the other one is going to bother me now not remembering it i i always love that concept uh, the the night worlds and stuff that came about mm. because yeah you're right they were just meant to be for 
like manufacture and stuff like that for building for construction and and uh, farming and shit like that just on mass scale and then shit went to hell so they were like well i guess that giant scythe is gonna come in handy which i just i love that concept but i think that was about all i had to cover on the eldar this really all should have been done in one episode but you know you're welcome <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Slap. <laughs> okay, before we tie off, any questions? Anything to add? What do we think? What does the KY and KY jelly stand for? Uh no one no one knows. Fair enough. Uh I'm on an eternal quest. I can I can provide you with a similar yet equally useless piece of information if you like. Go on then. There's a type of lubricant you get for like working on cars and stuff called AC90, and the AC stands for Action Can. Action Can. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, there's Ryan lubing up a car again. <laughs> See, you joke about that, but if I ever actually work on your car, you're going to fucking hope I do. Oh, let me tell you, did, did anyone ever see the documentary about the guys that are like sexually attracted to their cars? I've seen that before. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, that is really disgusting. For the record, for the record, the KY and KY jelly stands for Kentucky. Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky jelly. Genuinely, oh, no. that sounds like an STD. <laughs> well, I'm glad you watched that, Mez, because now you too can share in that it it completely uh, destroyed what the uh, the Herbie movies meant to me. A poor little love bug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I haven't thought about that. <laughs> Let alone Night Rider, oh. Jesus Christ! I think Night Rider was sexual in its own in its own scope. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't think you had to add that in. That man was clearly in love like with that a talk, car. talking car talks back, seducing you. Dirty talks back. That's it. <laughs> the car saying, "I want you inside of me now." <laughs> I love the way your key feels <laughs> in my ignition. No. Uh, oh. Farewell, libido. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcast episodes. I've never heard you say that before, but you've said it in both of ours. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Everything. Ben just edits it out. <laughs> I'm going to have to re listen to them all, listening for the point where you would have said that now. I assume it involves our barks. <laughs> I think the. Uh, the longest section he's ever had to cut out was something like nearly 10 minutes. Just a solid 10 minutes of pure inappropriateness. Excellent. I love it. <laughs> All right. So apparently I'm doing an outro this time. This is the first time in like 30 <laughs> episodes. That's fun. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Dar, where can they catch you? Um, at this stage, I'm probably the hospital next week. Um, <laughs> goddamn throat infection. Uh, you can find me and all my nonsense on Laying Down the Lore, which is a Warhammer fantasy podcast found wherever you find good podcasts and, to be fair, bad podcasts. Uh, yeah, come and join us. We like having a laugh and, you know, talking nonsense. I could not recommend their podcast more. I'm a huge fan of it. It's really gotten me into fantasy. Oh, and with that, you can catch me and Mez here next week. We'll catch you later. Bye! See ya. I love you.